The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five stocks kicking off the week on a sour note. But history suggests any pullback could be short-lived. Blue check mate Elon Musk threatening to terminate his deal to buy Twitter, and it could end up as an epic legal battle. Twin troubles for China stocks as COVID and new regulatory crackdowns once again give investors reasons to worry. President Biden defending his decision to visit Saudi Arabia. All this as oil stays above 100 bucks. Later on, Europe on the edge. The key headlines you have to know about as the region's growing energy crisis grows. It is Monday, July 11th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan, and good Monday morning. Let us jump right in on this busy day and coming off one of the best weeks for stocks that we have seen in a long time. All the major averages did pop last week, but that follow-through is not following through this morning. We are seeing futures down across the board, Dow down 183, NASDAQ off about 7 tenths of 1%. And even with last week's move higher, you got another big firm cutting their forecast today. Evercore ISI lowering its S&P 500 year-end target to 4,200 and cutting the index's earnings forecast by $4.50. That may weigh on the markets, although fair value is in the green. Long way to go. We'll see what happens. Also, check the bond market. Yields there are a little changed right now at around 3.05%. Coming up in your RBI, by the way, We're going to show you what I think is a pretty crazy stat about these markets. And here's a hint. We are on pace to do something that we have not done in at least 50 years, if ever. The oil market waking up again. It is slightly lower right now, but it is still above 100 bucks a barrel. Physical inventories, they still remain tight. And a reminder, later on this week, President Biden will travel to the Middle East and Saudi Arabia A big goal of that trip is likely to mend fences with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman in the hope that they may put more oil onto the global market. Friday is the big day for that. And in crypto, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether both lower right now. Bitcoin at 21,000 and change. All right, let's get a check on some of the early action and some of your key headlines that are happening overseas. Juliana Tatelbaum is in our London newsroom with those. Good morning, Juliana. Brian, good morning. Well, here in Europe, we're off to a somewhat weak start to trade. We're dealing with a negative handover from Asia, so perhaps that's weighing on sentiment here. Of fresh concerns around the spread of COVID in China are weighing on sentiment specifically. So here's the picture. The German market pulling back about 0.9%. The French market down about 1%. A little bit more resilience in the periphery. Spanish and Italian markets holding up a little bit better. The Swiss market also holding up a little bit better, down just two-tenths of a percent. Here in the U.S. Okay, 
Focus continues to be on the leadership race after Boris Johnson announced his intention to resign last week with a number of Tory politicians throwing their name into the hat to be in the in contention for the new leadership position. So FTSE 100 down about 0.6% as investors keep an eye on those political developments. From a sector perspective, this is what the split looks like. We've got utilities and healthcare outperforming. On the downside, the China-sensitive basic resources sector down 1.4%, as you would expect, given those concerns around COVID spreading in the country. Autos also pulling back about 1.2% underperforming household goods and banks. And Brian, in terms of investor focus for the week ahead, we're clearly keeping a close eye on everything that's happening stateside. Yep. Juliana Tadabam, appreciate that. See you in a bit. Thank you very much. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's top stories. Like Juliana said, what's happening stateside, including Kind of the latest in the strange saga of Elon Musk now trying to kill his deal to buy Twitter. Savannah now is here with that and more. Good morning, Savannah. Brian, good morning. Yep, so Elon Musk is looking to terminate his $44 billion deal to buy Twitter. That's according to a letter sent by his legal team to the company on Friday. Now, among a host of issues, the letter alleges Twitter breached the merger agreement claiming that document contains materially inaccurate representations, especially when it comes to bot activity on the platform. Under the terms of the agreement, Musk agreed to pay $1 billion if he backs out, but Twitter is hoping to keep the deal alive with Chairman Brett Taylor threatening legal action, Brian. And as you can see, uh, shares of Twitter are down about 7% in pre-market. Now, Beijing slapping some of China's biggest tech companies with new fines over the weekend, including Alibaba and Tencent, for failing to comply with anti-monopoly rules. Shares of both companies sinking in overnight trade. And among the list of 28 deals that violated rules, five included Alibaba. And casino stocks getting slammed this morning on news. Macau is shutting almost all all of its commercial and industrial businesses for one week starting today. This as authorities look to curb a recent COVID outbreak in the world's biggest gambling hub. The announcement came as Macau reported 71 new COVID cases on Saturday, taking the total to 1,374 since mid-June. More than 17,000 people are in quarantine, Brian. Amazing. They shut down entire cities for as many cases as some small to mid-sized American towns currently yep. have. We'll see if it works out. Savannah Hanel, thank you very much. You got it, Brian. All right, now let's get back to the markets and your money. And your first guest this morning says that both the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ are at very important points right now with a break to either side, maybe telling us where we are headed in the near term. Matt Maley is chief market strategist with Miller Tabak. And joins us once again, Matt, love having you on your notes. Always a must read on Wall Street. You say this is kind of a key technical juncture. Why? Yeah, this 3900 level uh, and the S&P 500 has, has been a key level. It's kind of interesting because it was the, the low we saw in, uh, in May and then uh, it, it bounced off that. And then when we broke below it in June, it got slammed pretty hard. So that old support became new resistance. Sure enough, we came up and tested it in late June. Didn't break above it, came back down. Now we're right back uh, to it again. So that old resistance, I'm sorry, old support becomes new resistance. And it's also very close to the trend line if you're going back to the to the March highs, which was really kind of our first bear market rally. So whether we can you know break above, you know, again, it's, it's, it's 3,900. If it goes to 3,905, that's not a big deal. But if we can get you know meaningfully above it, 3,950 or so, that's going to be very bullish uh, on a short-term basis. And if it fails and rolls back over, of course, if it takes out its June lows, that's going to be uh, quite bearish. 
you know, knowing I had to be, whenever you're on, Matt, I got to be on my top game. And at 5 a.m., it's hard to do. So this weekend, I was looking through all kinds of market stats because, you know, that's what you do when you do this job on a weekend. And I, I'm not knocking the rally we've had. It's nice when stocks go up. But, man, the stocks that have been leading the market are like these beaten up, low-quality names. I've been doing this 26 years, and it just, it, I don't know, it smells kind of like one of these head fake bear market rallies that traps you only for the market to break your heart again. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. It's, it's very, very similar to what we saw back in March. And the thing that I, th you know, I think people are making this mistake, this rally is being, being uh, you know, ignited by or fueled by uh, the, the thought that the Fed is going to be uh, a much less, uh, you know, much less hawkish. Well, that's fine. But for the for the stock market to be, uh, uh, to, to, I guess the, my point is they're thinking, oh my gosh, we're, if the Fed is less hawkish, we're going to go back to what we saw, uh, uh, you know, uh, before uh, this year, and when the Fed was wildly, uh, wildly accommodative. That doesn't. That's not going to happen. The stock market isn't going to go back to the to the overvaluation levels we saw just because the Fed is less hawkish. It will take the the Fed to be much more stimulative, you know, and adding massive levels of stimulus. That's just not going to happen. So uh, I, I think that people are, are are making that mistake. And of course, as we move into this earnings season, uh, we're going to see how well that plays out and see if these valuations that we're seeing right now are are even are even accurate ones. But I think they're a little bit high. Okay, let's talk about valuations because we know that the E in price to earnings, the estimates are starting to come down. I referenced Evercore ISI cutting its S&P 500, you know, earnings target by four and a half bucks over the weekend. But there's certain other valuations, and I'm going to quote Matt Maley back to Matt Maley, like price to sales, which are actually still near historically highs. I mean, even as prices have come down, not all valuations have, Correct. Exactly. I mean, earnings, people can play with earnings and they have write-offs and such. And, and we, we always know that that's something you have to be a little bit careful. So all these people who cite P-E ratios uh, constantly say, yeah, it's not a, it's not a really a really good uh, one to follow. But price to sale, you can't fake sales unless you flat out lie. Sales are sales. And right now we're 2.4 times sales in the S&P 500. That's what we saw in the top, okay, at the top of the uh, tech bubble back in 2000. Okay, so this is, I mean, it got up to th over three times sales because of this massive liquidity that was provided by the Fed. We can't maintain this level. So yeah. people are looking for what kind of valuations we see at bottoms. We're actually seeing valuations we see at tops. And we got earnings set to roll out Qu quickly, Matt. How critical are earnings and guidance numbers as second quarter earnings season is about to pop? Uh, they're you know vitally important. I mean, almost too many people are looking for them uh, to be negative or be disappointing for people uh, for, for for it to actually happen. But I do think that's what's going to happen. And let's face it, the, the 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 situation with peak inflation. Who cares if we're only getting peak inflation if it's going to stabilize at very high prices, uh, which I think is going to happen because it's supply driven rather than demand driven. That means margins yeah. are going to get. And I think guidance will have to come down. Matt Maley, Miller Tayback, laying it out and setting us up. And Matt, we appreciate it on Monday morning. Take care. Thank, Thank you very you. much. All right, we have got a lot to do on this Monday. And when we come back, much more on Elon Musk's attempt to now back out of his deal to buy Twitter, what it means for you, investors, and what Musk is tweeting this morning as Twitter builds its own legal team. Plus, why the markets may be on pace to do something they have not done in at least 50 years. It's truly a history-making year and not in a good way. We'll tell you about it when we come back.
Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We want to bring you now the very latest headlines on Europe's growing energy crisis because... There is so much happening nearly every day, it is difficult to keep up. Here are just a few of the key things that have happened in the past 48 hours. Electricity prices across Europe continue to surge to new records. In France, they hit over $400 per megawatt hour. By comparison, Boston is paying about $40. So parts of Europe's wholesale electricity, 10 times higher than us. This is leading to more calls to dim the lights. Some leading French power company executives all calling now for rationing to help alleviate the problem. In Germany, there are calls for a massive bailout because of this. One of the largest power companies in Germany, it's called Uniper, is asking for a multi-billion dollar bailout. The overall power situation getting so tough, Bank of America just said Europe is getting into a, quote, burn anything at hand to keep the lights on phase. Wow. They also raised their price forecast for coal for this year and next year. Coal, by the way, the best performing commodity over the past 12 months. So how might this impact people in society? Well, it could lead to civil or social unrest. So warns one of the top officials in Europe over the weekend. By the way, Sri Lanka's government just toppled over its energy policy as well as other issues like debt. If people cannot afford to heat their homes, or grow food, it is a serious problem and a health risk. Remember, globally, far more people die from cold than from heat. And if that wasn't enough, there's this, and this may be the most bizarre story of the weekend. Canada has just repaired a key turbine part for Gazprom's Nord Stream pipeline, and they're sending it back to Germany, which will then give it back to Gazprom. So, despite the sanctions, Canada just fixed a part to help Putin back Gazprom send more natural gas to Europe. By the way, the Russian embassy in South Africa actually trolled Canada about that move. Can't make that up. Something else not on the list, Austria just decided to reopen a coal plant that has been closed for the past two years. Those are just a couple of the key headlines that happened over the weekend. We've been leading the coverage of the story, and we will continue to stay on it. It is probably the biggest global economic and humanitarian story in the world right now. All right, on deck, we're going to switch gears in a big way because Target, Best Buy, Amazon, and more, they're going to kick off their week of deal days. But will the increasingly indebted American consumer actually step up? Stacey Widlitz is here to weigh in on the names and the deals to watch. Today's big number, $1.4 trillion. That's how much total global clean energy investments will reach this year, according to data by the International Energy Agency. 
That's up 12% from last year. But about half of the increase in spending is due to rising prices rather than investments in new capacity. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back. Let's talk about you, the consumer. Because it is a big week for shopping. Amazon, Target, and others all setting off big deals this week. Hoping to turn what was Amazon's prime day into some kind of new week-long online retail extravaganza. But it all comes at a key time for all stores because they are dealing with a slowing consumer, rising prices, oh, and rising inventories. Let's welcome back in Stacy Widlitz, president of SW Retail Advisors. So Stacy, what, what exactly happened? There used to be Prime Day, then it was like Prime Two Days, then everybody piggybacked. Now it's like online retail week. What, what happened? Well, I think, you know, as, as we all know, the, the era of full price selling is now over that the consumer has slowed down here and anything to get that consumer moving, get their attraction. And Brian, to be fair, over the years, these shopping holidays have gotten longer and longer and everybody has piled on and it's going to be even more extreme this year, particularly, as you said, with these bloated inventories, you know, Target guided down twice Walmart, it's been across the board. And certainly, you know, I track 80 companies in Europe and the U.S. and look at their promotions year over year. And there's no denying this has been going on for about six weeks now. Okay, so is their loss our gain? Is is the fact that they, you know, sort of gorged on inventories going to mean better deals for us, the consumer? Absolutely. And remember, Brian, you and I have talked about so many times, there have been no discounts for the past two years. And all of a sudden, for the first time, we're seeing those big flashing discount signs. So I think the consumer will respond, particularly as the consumer knows that inflation perhaps is here to stay. If there's something they need, they'll get out there. But I think the deals that you're seeing are very focused on where those inventories are bloated. That's home. You know, over inventory, it's outdoor furniture, it's some consumer electronics. So if you go on any of these websites, that's what they're going to lead with. If you're in the market for one of those things, log on and check it out. It's hard to know what Amazon does because, number one, they're so private, but also they got so many third party sellers on the platform. Who knows? But as best as you can make it out, Stacey, how is Amazon doing? 
Well, I think there's no doubt that that things have slowed, and that's particularly due to increase in prices, which we have seen on Amazon. Also, over time, we have seen some issues with delivery being longer than expected. But Brian, I would say to you, you've been covering the energy crisis here so well. And I have seen a slowdown somewhat in traffic because people are being very conservative as they see their money being piled into their car. So perhaps this is the holiday that they sit back and say, yes, I'm going to re-engage online after a period of slowdown. Yeah. Yeah, not just their car, but unfortunately, probably their home this winter with heating, Stacey. I don't need to tell you more about that. Uh, is there any company that you're following and tracking all these companies that you do that is looking like maybe they're in better shape than others? So I think the the footwear sector has certainly held up better than most. Um, and, and certainly you saw Nike's inventory is a little higher than you'd expect but you're not seeing the kind of promotions in footwear that you're seeing really across the board in whether it's uh, body care, home, consumer electronics. So, you know, I think that's a sector that you can take a look at, particularly with Nike, as they're playing less and less in the wholesale channel. They're controlling their inventory. They're controlling their pricing structure. But I think those stories are going to be harder and harder to find as we move into the second half of the year. That's, I don't know if you watched our show on Friday, Stacey. If you didn't, I'm not offended. But John Rogers on the board of Nike had the biggest insider stock buy of the week, bought a million bucks where the Nike shares and may piggyback and on what you just said. That's where the margins are. So um, in this particular environment, you want to look at those brands that are incredibly strong, that have DTC, that have that margin story. There you go. Maybe everybody's walking and they need better shoes because they can't afford to drive. <laughs> Stacey Widlitz, SW Retail Advisors. Thank you very much. You're paying like 10 bucks a gallon in the UK. All right. Let's get now a check on some of this morning's other key headlines, including another incredible win for one of tennis's all-time leading greats. Philip Menes in New York with that and more. Good morning, Philip. Yeah, hey, Brian, good morning. We'll begin with a major development in the January 6th investigation. Steve Bannon, a key member of former President Trump's inner circle, says he's willing to testify before the January 6th committee. The about face comes after former President Trump waived executive privilege in the matter, saying Bannon is now free to testify. The committee holds its next hearing tomorrow. It'll focus on how the mob came together and attempt to draw a line between extremist groups and Mr. Trump and his allies. President Biden says he's considering declaring a public health emergency to protect reproductive freedom. The move could free up some federal resources to expand abortion access. Mr. Biden said that he has asked his staff to look at whether the president has that authority and how effective such a move would be. Novak Djokovic has done it again at Wimbledon. The 35-year-old Serbian won his seventh men's singles title and his fourth in a row. He knocked off Australian Nick Kyrgios to take home his 21st Grand Slam singles title. Djokovic is just one championship away now from Rafael Nadal's record. And on the women's side, a rising star scored her first Grand Slam title. Elena Rybakina won the women's singles final, topping Ons Jabor. The 23-year-old also brought home the first ever victory for the country of Kazakhstan. Finally, the latest Thor movie has left fans thunderstruck. Swinging in at number one, Thor Love and Thunder took in $143 million domestically in its opening weekend, bringing its global box office total to over $300 million. That's it from here, Brian. I'll send it back to you. 
Yeah, we'll see if uh, Novak Djokovic is even allowed to play in the U.S. Open. Right now he won't be because he's not vaccinated. That's right. Thank you very much. All right. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, why last week's win for stocks may not have been a short-term fluke. And if history gets its way, this week could write a similar story. Your market's ahead, and we'll call that a, a bonus RBI. And if you have not already, be sure to follow our podcast. You miss the show every day. You're not on the Eastern Time Zone. We get it. We're there for you. Check us out on all the major podcast apps. We'll be right back. Grab an extra large cup of coffee, inflation data, the kickoff to earnings season, Europe's energy crisis, all on the docket this week for you. Futures, they are down ahead of the open. Elon Musk pulling the plug on his bid to take over Twitter, but the company vowing legal action to get the deal done. The saga now likely moving from the boardroom to the courtroom. And President Biden spending his weekend defending his upcoming and highly criticized trip to Saudi Arabia after previously pledging to make the kingdom a, quote, pariah. It is Monday, July 11th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome and welcome back, everybody, and good Monday morning, just about 5.30 here on the East Coast. Let's jump right in on this busy Monday, and coming off one of the best weeks for stocks that we have seen in a long time, all the major averages popped last week, we are seeing not a lot of follow-through. We are seeing futures down across the board, off about one-half to seven-tenths of one percent for the Nasdaq. And this is random but interesting. And did you know, because I did not until I read this, that the first two weeks of July are historically the best two weeks of the year for stocks? That data coming from our friend Enrique Abeda, who notes that the median return of the first two weeks of July is about 1.6% for the S&P 500. And that is, for two weeks, the best two weeks of the year. Why? Who knows? But it seems to be playing out the same this year, at least if you base it on last week's big run. We'll see if that follows through this week. Maybe a mini bonus RBI there. All right, in bonds, we're seeing yields kind of holding steady at around 3.05%. And our real RBI, later on in the show, it's got another pretty incredible market stat coming up. Now let's take a look at oil and gas right now. Oil prices, they are down a touch from their close, but they are still above 100 bucks a barrel. Physical inventory still remain tight. Of course, later on this week, President Biden will travel to the Middle East and Saudi Arabia as a big part of that trip to talk perhaps about oil, though they say oil is not officially on the agenda. No doubt is kind of the overarching theme. Also, by the way, in natural gas, there was a fire at a One Oak facility in Oklahoma on Saturday. Now, I reached out to the company. They're being a little bit tight-lipped about the status of the facility or how long it may be offline or if it even is. But natural gas, certainly something to watch. And by the way, in Europe, natural gas prices, they continue to surge. The spot market for natural gas is back around 170 euros per megawatt hour. What the heck does that mean? Well, if you do all the conversions, it's about 55 U.S. dollars per contract. Keep in mind... We're paying just over six. That gives you an idea of just how much higher prices are right now, especially as we're heading into filling tanks to get ahead of the winter. All right, now to some of this morning's top stories. And as we just mentioned, President Biden defending his trip to Saudi Arabia this week. In a Washington Post op-ed, the president making the case for resetting ties with leaders there, while also pressing them 
on some human rights. Biden acknowledging critics of the trip, writing in part, quote, as president, it is my job to keep our country strong and secure. We have to counter Russia's aggression, but put ourselves in the best possible position to outcompete China and work for a greater stability in a consequential region of the world. To do these things, we have to engage directly with countries that can impact those outcomes. Saudi Arabia is one of them, end quote. Also happening today, Starbucks announcing it is halting sales of its new chicken sandwich less than a week after its debut. The company citing a failure to meet quality standards for the move. Unverified reports on social media had claimed that the sandwich had made a few people sick. Again, it's just people complaining on social media. Starbucks dismissing those claims as false, saying the quality issues had nothing to do with any kind of foodborne illness. And some great news for new parents out there. Abbott has restarted a baby formula production plant in Michigan. The facility, of course, forced to shut down last month after shortly reopening due to severe flooding. Abbott had previously shut down the facility in February over some bacterial contamination concerns in baby formula that contributed to a nationwide shortage of formula. Good news, that plant is reopening. Well, now to this morning's top stock story. An Elon Musk looking to terminate his $44 billion deal to buy Twitter, according to a letter sent by his legal team to the company on Friday. It's got a lot of issues with the deal. Among them, the letter alleges that Twitter breached the merger deal because it allegedly contains, quote, material inaccurate representations, especially when it comes to bot fake account activity on the platform. Under the terms of the deal, Musk agreed to pay a $1 billion backout fee if he does back out, but Twitter is hoping to keep the deal alive. And of course, a tweet late Friday, Twitter chairman Brett Taylor said, quote, the Twitter board is committed to closing the transaction on the price and the terms agreed upon with Mr. Musk and plans to pursue legal action to enforce the merger agreement. We are confident we will prevail. Now, as part of its plan to force Musk to cooperate, Twitter has reportedly hired the powerhouse M&A legal team at Wachtell, Lipton, Rosen, and Katz. The firm's attorneys there include Bill Savitt and Leo Strine. And if Strine sounds familiar, it's because he was the chancellor of the Delaware Chancery Court. And that is the same court where this case will be heard, arguably the most important court in the United States for deals. No official comment from Elon Musk on the planned deal termination, but we are waking up to several mean tweets from the Tesla CEO mocking Twitter and its plan to take him on in court. Joining us now to wrap this all up and figure out what to do about it is Newberger Berman senior research analyst Daniel Flax. Daniel, I don't envy your job right now. There's a lot to wade through. There's also a lot of noise here. I mean, a lot of Twitter stuff back and forth. Ultimately... Do you have a view on how this plays out? Ryan, I, I think uh, as this saga continues into the courtroom, the, the lawyers uh, and, of course, the court will decide how it plays out. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to see. But if we look at the Twitter business, uh, what we remain focused on is, is whether this company is going to be able to execute, uh, whether it's owned by Elon Musk or, or, or perhaps more likely not. And so uh, our focus is on the user experience, uh, the, the advertisers, the, the platform, and, and certainly given everything that's happened, is the company going to be able to raise morale? Uh, are they going to be able to push forward on their, on their uh, products and, and roadmaps? 
that that will matter uh, most in my view over the next year and beyond. Well, it seemed like Twitter employees didn't want the Musk deal, but now the Twitter board seems like it's on intent on forcing the Musk deal. The stock, by the way, at what uh, thirty four and change right now, and in the pre-market trade, how do you make out this seeming discrepancy between what the board now wants and maybe what the employees want? The, the board, I think, is going to do its very best, uh, given its responsibility, to, to try to get some sort of deal done. But I, I think uh, at this point, it, 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 is, it is hopeful from the board situation that you might be able to get the $1 billion breakup fee. Uh, the, the market uh, has, has, of course, for some time doubted that this deal would get done. Uh, and, and I think it's highly, highly unlikely that it does get done. But I think what's more important if you're the board is that you do need to demonstrate um, that, that you're trying your very best, certainly to get the $1 billion breakup fee. As far as employees mm. are concerned, they're going to go uh, to the best environment uh, for, for them individually. And of course, we'll see how that plays out. You know, Twitter is a platform, arguably, Daniel, punches above its weight in the media. We all use it in the media. It's kind of our sort of direct distribution platform in many ways. But it's a confusing platform. And, and let's be blunt, maybe worthless for a lot of just sort of regular folks out there. It's like 80% of people don't even have a Twitter account. The stock has been dead money for four years unless you time the trade. It's back to the same price it was in May of 2018. Is there a stock recommendation here at all? Brian, in, in so far as the stock, we prefer other names in the sector. And, and I say that because, to, to your point, the, the company uh, has a role to play, and, and I think certain users do find it valuable. What we're focused on, though, is, is companies' ability to innovate and really expand. So we'll see certainly later this week, Amazon Prime Day, uh, e- even as the economy remains difficult, uh, the e-commerce business is, is a robust uh, platform. They, of course, have created Amazon Web Services and they have an advertising business that, that will, will contribute more meaningfully over time. Of course, there's Google. Uh, course search is durable. YouTube, even while they're near-term pressures, we think it's an attractive platform. And they, too, have been building a cloud platform. And so I, I, I would emphasize that it's really these companies' abilities to, to, to reinvent themselves, to extend beyond their core markets. Twitter has had a difficult okay. time doing that, has a role to play, though. But no reason to buy the stock. We prefer other names in the space. And that's Wall Street. We got it. Daniel Flax, Newberger Berman. What a drama that's going to play out. Get your legal hat on, Daniel. It's going to be a wild couple of months, I'm sure, for this deal. Stock, by the way, at 34 30 10 bucks below that proposed deal price. All right, up next, your morning RBI and how the markets are on pace to do something that we have not seen in at least 50 years, if not longer. Plus, the great Robert Frank is here, pulling back the curtain, one of the biggest market players that you have likely never heard of. A look at the secretive investment arms of the very wealthy. That's next. All right, welcome back. Hope you're having a great start to your Monday. CNBC and CNBC Pro are launching a new series looking at one of the biggest market players that you have likely never heard about, or at least don't know much about. Robert Frank joining us now with more on the secretive investment arms of the family office. Robert. Good morning, Brian. Indeed, family offices by nature are secretive. They are not regulated. Most of them don't have to disclose their investments or their assets. Most don't even disclose 
who their executives are, but they have become, as you mentioned, one of the most powerful financial uh, forces in the markets. Analysts estimate there are now over 10,000 family offices around the world. That's up tenfold from the early 2000s. And here's the important part. They manage more than $6 trillion. That's more than the estimated $4 trillion managed by hedge funds. Now, most have more than $200 million in assets, and they are increasingly taking the place of private equity firms, venture capital, and the big corporates in the direct deal world. MSD Capital, that's the family office. Uh, it's tied to Michael Dell's family office, bought half of digital consulting firm West Monroe, and they are financing a growing number of direct deals. In recent months, many family offices are building cash moving away from hedge funds and stocks. Family offices surveyed by UBS, they have about a third of their assets right now in equities, about 20% in private equity, but private equity is by far their fastest growing segment. Not to mention the Wall Street firms all chasing this gold mine of fees from family offices. Morgan Stanley just created a new asset tracking platform for family offices. They already have $25 billion in assets on that platform. You take a look at the world's billionaires, they've gained over $5 trillion in wealth during the pandemic. So the assets and the influence of family offices, Brian, will continue to grow. Just, just a massive player in this space. And as inequality grows, so will family offices. Okay, but one thing we know about Washington, Robert, is that they want to control things. And when things like this that are big and powerful that are not controlled, Congress tends to get jumpy. Are there growing calls for more regulation or any regulation around family offices outside of sort of normal SEC rules? Yeah, so this space is growing so fast and many say it's growing beyond the pace of regulation. You know, remember Archegos last year, that was a fund that started with $1.5 billion, grew into a 20 or $35 billion fund, you know, had a big impact on a lot of individual stocks for a while before it imploded. So a lot of people looked at Archegos and the growing size of family offices and said, look, you should at least disclose what your positions are, how big you are, so that we can at least tell whether there is systemic risk for many of these. So there are growing calls, at least in Congress, for regulation. So far, the SEC has not come down with any mm. proposal, but that could be coming in the future. I'm sure that it will be coming. Well, Congress has never met a multi-billion dollar industry. It did not want to regulate. Robert <laughs> Frank, thank you, my man. Let's appreciate right. it. All right, on deck, your morning RBI and why two parts of this market may be making history this year and not in like the good making history way. Plus, Greg Branch is back on why he says we may finally be nearing a turning point for stocks. Dow futures, they're down. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. I know it's summer and all, but you've got a very busy week on Wall Street. Here are some things that are happening. Of course, the bigger thing is that earnings season begins to get underway. We're going to start with Pepsi tomorrow. You got Delta on Wednesday. Things kick into high gear on Thursday and Friday with results from JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, and Citigroup. A big week on the economic data front as well. Key CPI data and the Fed's beige book on Wednesday. June retail sales and July consumer sentiment on Friday. I'm exhausted just saying all that. And it's just Monday at 540 in the morning. All right, time now to get random but interesting on these markets because 
We think this is really interesting. We may do something this year that has not happened in at least nearly 50 years, if ever. And that is to have both stocks and government bonds go down in the same year. Look at this data from Charlie Bellello and Compound Capital. Going back to 1976, the S&P 500 has dropped eight times in a calendar year. That's it. 1977, 81, 1990, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2008, and 2018. And you can see that in those years when stocks fell, the U.S. core aggregate bond index has gone up. That index is a huge index of U.S. government debt, Fannie Mae, and some big bank debt. It is widely benchmarked, followed, and owned. So what this is saying is that diversification is supposed to work. If stocks go down, bonds go up, sometimes, like in two years, by double digits. And that mitigates the pain of your stock drop. That's the idea, but not this year. For the first time in 50 years, and maybe ever, both the S&P 500 and many big bonds are down. In fact, that bond index is down 10%, one of its biggest drops ever, meaning there's been almost nowhere to hide anywhere in this market. Now, it's likely because the Fed's actions with higher rates and trying to shrink money supply. So it makes sense. But it is still truly stunning and kind of depressing. And it's definitely random, but interesting. Of course, there's a long way to go in the year. But when somebody says this year may be historic for the markets, it's not just TV hyperbole. We're on pace for it. Ugh. All right, let's dive further into these markets and what is sure to be another busy week for all of you out there. And joining us now is Greg Branch, managing partner at Veritas Financial Group. Greg, what do you make of that RBI? I mean, it's not mine. I ripped it off from Charlie Bellello. Does great work there. But both right. bonds and stocks down this year? I mean, that's everything stinks. Yeah, look, and, and I think I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel uh, myself, Brian. I think... You know, I've been uh, out on the curve in terms of, of having a pessimistic outlook for this year. So I'm not surprised by both of those things necessarily uh, at the beginning of the year. Um, and this is actually part of what gives me conviction that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. At the beginning of the year, uh, recall that I, my target for the S&P 500 was 3,800. And I said that we would enter a recession this year. Both things were considered alarmist at the time. Uh, obviously, uh, that 3,800 is no longer alarmist. I've since revised down. I'm now looking at 3,300 to 3,400. And at the beginning of the year, the Wall Street Journal did a poll of economists asking how likely we would be to enter a recession this year. 18% said likely in January. They did that poll last month, 44%. So part of seeing the, end of the light at the end of the tunnel is coming to a shared reality mm. of where we are and where we're going. But I kind of tease, Greg, that maybe you thought there was some kind of a turn coming, or do you see more pain throughout the rest of the summer? There's more pain to come, uh, so don't get me wrong, but I see the turn after that. So the pain is going to be caused by the same thing the turn is going to be caused by. Recall that one of the things that I was really uh, apprehensive about is that analyst estimates were way too high as we came into the second quarter. 20% uh, of the S&P 500 actually forewarned that their analysts were too high, that their estimates were too high, and that they weren't going to meet them. So we are at the beginning of a pretty significant and meaningful downward revision cycle, which will keep pressure, keep a headwind on equity values as we go through it over the next two months. But once we get that behind us, that's behind us, and it's no longer a headwind. I believe that we're going to see 
peak Fed hawkishness this quarter will likely get an, this month will likely get another 75 bips. Yeah. And I believe it will trail off from there. That will be behind us. We'll likely get some downward uh, draft on valuation. And once that's also behind us, we get to actually do the work and figure out well, what's a good bargain from here and what does the forward trajectory look yeah. like. And so pain to come, but the light at the end of the tunnel is there. Okay, well, it's good. that is some good news. Listen, and I hear you. You've been out there warning about these markets, Greg, for a while, and people say, oh, fear-mongering, whatever. We've been talking about this European energy crunch since last year. We were in London in the fall sort of talking about this. I'm probably going back soon. This, to me, and I know I'm talking my own sort of editorial book because I've been hammering this story. Right. It's a giant – it's not just an energy story. It's an economic story. It's a market story, is it not? I, I do believe – both things that you're saying are true, Brian. Number one, it is probably more important uh, than we've come to understand or take it as. And number two, it's certainly under discussed. And the weaponization of energy in Europe, partly the weaponization, partly, obviously, we have uh, strikes in Norway and some in Germany uh, that are going to cause spikes in the commodity prices as well as the transit of them uh, and the availability has decreased. But what the domino that I'm really concerned about that's after that is what happens to some of these uh, sovereign debt positions? What happens at a, with Greece at 193 percent uh, debt to GDP, with Italy at 150 percent, with Portugal at 127 percent? These are levels that are far above what Greece experienced during the 2008 Greek debt yep. crisis. And, and we've had so much else going on that the possibility of a of sovereign default or at least severe sovereign stress, particularly with the ECB no longer a net buyer, with central banks around the world tightening and shrinking their balance sheets, uh, it, it does warrant being on the radar. In 2009, I was in Syntagma Square in Athens watching an angry population throw Molotov cocktails at banks. And you wonder, Greg, with energy costs going to soar in the summer, in the winter, how much more that population is willing to take with those debt levels being where they are. They can't raise taxes. Uh, I think it's an awesome and excellent point. I appreciate you saying it's underreported. We're trying our best. Greg Branch out there with a warning. Other than you, Brian. Right Other than this you, year. I bet. <laughs> well, well, I don't know. Other Listen, you, you were out there at the beginning of the year warning you. about the markets. Right. And you've been spot on. And we appreciate it. It's thank tough you, talk, but it's needed. Greg Branch, Veritas Financial. Greg, thank you very much. Appreciate that. All right, so there you go. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange, folks. Kicking off a long week. There is a lot going on. I know it's summer, but don't sleep on it. There's earnings set to roll out as well. We'll see you at the same time tomorrow here on Worldwide Exchange. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.